It's the dog days of summer here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and on behalf of my brother Joshua Blue in the beautiful Salem, Oregon, welcome to this week's episode of The Digest Show, brought to you by Black Rectangle Collective. Now, on this week's episode, Josh and I will be discussing our most delicate film to date. It's a film about activism, unity, and unfortunately tragedy as well. So grab your tissues, but also grab your motherfucking bullhorn and get ready to fight for what's right on this week's episode of The Digest Show. Proceed! My name is Chase Ricker, and I am here to recruit you to my team, my, my, my tribe, my little... Oh, I'll join you any day, friend. I'll join you any day. Today on episode six, Chug It Along, The Digest Show, Milk, Gus Van Zant directed, Sean Penn starring, a beautiful, touching, moving piece of art. Beautiful's the word. Beautiful's the word. This movie came out in 2008. It is was written by Dustin Lance Black, um, who was also a, an LBGTQ activist. Uh, Gus Van Zandt, we're going to get to his little bio- biography and talk about what he means to queer cinema. Uh, but this movie is, an, is a, it's a moving picture about will, about bringing people together for a common cause. And I can't wait to get into it with you, bud. Yes, yes, yes. This is an inspiring movie. Yeah, I'm ready to go. Inspiring's a good word for me to describe it, too. Mm. So, as we move along, please, ladies and gentlemen, join us on the back of the box as we do a recap of the DVD description of the film. We get a little prep before we do our deep dive. Joshua, you got this one. I swear, I was so frustrated. I swore I had this DVD. Couldn't find it. I'm glad that you did. I've got my trusty copy that I bought from Rasputin's in San Francisco. Oh, okay. oh that's cool. Yeah, so a little, yeah, little tie-tie. Okay, so here we go. His life changed history. His courage changed lives. Academy Award winner Sean Penn stars in this stirring celebration of Harvey Milk, a true man of the people. Based on the inspiring true story of the first openly gay man elected to major public office, this compelling film follows Milk's powerful journey to inspire hope for equal rights during one of the least tolerant times in our nation's history. With a stunning all-star cast, including Josh Brolin, Emile Hirsch, Diego Luna, and James Franco, it's the emotionally charged story that was proclaimed the winner of the New York Film Critics Circle Best Picture Award. And deservedly so. This film uh, got an Academy Award for not only Sean Penn's performance, but again, original screenplay. We're fans of original screenplays on this damn show. Yes, we we have a knack for that. We have a knack for that. And also, uh, welcome back to that 70s podcast once again, somehow. I mean, I'm not sorry. (laughs) I'm not either, but like it's its own. No, but that screenplay thing, that's a legit theme. That we uh, keep kind of on, touching on. It's not on purpose, but I think it's interesting. Yeah, it is. Uh, this film also draws a lot from a documentary um, that is, is included in the DVD, correct? Correct, yeah. Uh, the name of that documentary? Uh, let's see. Remembering Harvey. Oh, okay. I believe I believe so. That I mean, it is the documentary that's on the film is called Remembering Harvey, and it's about um, 27 
minutes long, I want to say, something like that. Maybe it's not the same one. Uh, there's a, an Academy Award-winning film. Oh, Feature. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Uh, the, the, the Times of Harvey Milk is the name of that. The Times of Harvey Milk, gotcha. Okay. I just thought it was cool that, you know, I don't think a lot of people before this, you know, nationally known film by a nationally known director uh, about this individual, maybe outside of San Francisco, may have known who Harvey Milk was. And not only is a, a documentary about him acclaimed, but this feature film is too. I think it speaks to the power of the character. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I just, um, I'm very happy that this movie was made to introduce me to Harvey Milk, no doubt. Well, let's talk about that. What are your first memories of seeing this film? What were you oh, doing? Yeah. Who were you? We were, it's 2008. <laughs> um, so we were teenagers at the time. Um, both of us have a tendency to care about political things, you know, one way or the other. We, we are invested uh, citizens of the country and have been. So I'm, I'm proud of that fact. Uh, who were you when you first saw this movie and what are your first memories of it? That's a great question. I was a recent high school graduate uh, in my first semester of community college. I was a t-shirt wearing. Uh, just for the, just for listeners, he's wearing a t-shirt right now. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Probably actually probably. I got a, I got a color sure. on, motherfucker. Well, well, when I drove to see the movie, I was probably listening to No Effect, so it's all one circle. But, uh, but I was a uh, bag toting, you know, pamphlet handing out, door knocking volunteer for Barack Obama's campaign. Two thousand eight was my first election. I was able to vote in, so it was huge for me. Um, and my high school girlfriend and I like lied to our parents and drove to the big city, which was Charlotte, North Carolina. And we got tickets to the Manor Twin, RIP. RIP. So, now just so sad. Independent theater in Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, not, by the, not by the COVID. Yep. And, um, yeah, we watched the movie and I remember, yeah, just being a, 18 year old kid thinking that we were getting ready to change the world. And this movie was inspiring and it sent me on the edge. You know, I cried the night Obama was elected. I cried during this movie. It was just a, a time of hope, you know, like it really, it really was big time. That that's, that's me. That's where I was when this movie came out. I think that's in line with the greater theme of the film. I think it's really cool, but that's when you saw it, you were inspired to go and see it. We're going to use that word inspired a lot today. Yeah, we are. That's going to be the word of the day. Not only is this film heartbreaking and like a tearjerker, but it's just, it makes you want to get on your feet. Yes. And, and so for me, when I saw this film, I was, it's not political or, you know, culturally motivated. I was going through like a personally rough time. I was like living by myself, a major relationship had just ended and I, it was a lonely night alone. And I was just trying to find a movie and I put this film on and it just like grabbed me by my collar and put me on my feet. And it was like, you can, you know, find things you believe in. You can be an active human being. Like this movie just inspired me and brought tears to my eyes. And it, and it, it, it gave me warmth and comfort that there's goodness. And so I was going through a personal dark time and, and that's what, Movies are good for sometimes, just like any art movie, uh, a good record, a good song. And this movie was was feel good. And though it has a tragic ending and there is tragedy in the story, um, the over the, the lasting theme is is there is goodness. And that's what it gave to me during a dark time. And I'll 
you know, we decided to to do this film. I think I suggested it, if I'm not mistaken. But I had, I think I'd only seen it once or twice. But its effect was so profound on me that I'd probably seen it for the first time, you know, five or six years ago. But it, I knew that it was an important movie to me, and it it, it made an impact on me that long ago after only watching it. I may have only rewatched it one other time, other than before this this podcast. So that's my story of it. Yeah, and even I just mean, talking about it like gets me choked up. This movie, yeah. just, it's just so true and honest. And it, and when you come across something like that, that just hits you direct, like just direct eye contact, two inches away. Like that's what the story is. It you don't forget it. Yeah, no, I mean, the two two things I'll say, of, of, I mean, about what you said is, I mean, absolutely right. Like, I, you did suggest this movie. I agreed to it full-throated without giving it a second thought because I've, I had only seen this movie once. And it was 12 years ago when I watched it in theaters, and it hit me equally as hard and stuck with me forever. I knew I didn't even need to rewatch it yeah. to say, yeah, yeah, let's do this. You know, I knew it hit. And the other thing I'll say is we're going to talk a lot about Harvey Milk, right? And Harvey Harvey Milk's story is probably what got me in the theater in 2008. But I think when you talked about not – you know, you didn't see it then. You saw it years later, and you were in a time in your life, and it pulled you in. I just want to say that speaks to the other equally great part about this which there's Harvey Milk and there's the filmmaking in this movie and the way it will grab you and pull you in is like seriously there. And that's why I feel like it grabs someone like you years later and just sucks you right back in. And then Harvey keeps you there, you know, uh, I'm, I, I'm a big believer in the goosebump, like war pigs, goosebumps every time. Right, right, right. Hitchcock, you know, goosebumps every time. Just thinking about the the emotions that this film, you know, concocts in in your fucking soul. Just now talking about it with a close friend gave me goosebumps. Yes, and yes. I just that's that's when I know. You, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. And agreed. this movie just I I texted you last night after my rewatch, and it was past your bedtime, but I just had to emote. I had to send a message like this movie moves me. <laughs> it just uh, I'm sorry. It just really fucking does. Okay, I got two, I got two things about that. Yes, the movie moves you, but like also, can we just comment really quick, folks? Because this is gonna come up later in the podcast. I'm on the West Coast. He texted me after my bedtime. <laughs> okay, that tells you something about me, which will come up later. But I'm serious. Like I gotta point that out. So no, but it is so beautiful. I mean, beautiful, inspiring. Those are the words of the day. I mean, it's also dark and tragic, and there is it is. But there's beauty in that, and that's part of it to me, you know. Yeah. Ugh. We'll we'll reference this. Like it makes me fucking cry. This yes. Every fucking time. Me too. Me too. Uh, Let's go back to kind of your sphere of 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 what you walked into when you first saw it the first time in 2008. You saw it live action, premiered at the theater, and what was going on in this country? What? when the film came out, the cultural environment that the film was released into. I think you have some insight on uh, Proposition 8 and gay marriage yeah. and the kind of, it must, it can't be irony of, and also the hope and the uh, optimism that the country had with a new president and how things were about to get better. You know, give, give some thoughts on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I won't lie. It's it's uh, it's tough to talk about because I have mixed emotions and thinking about this movie really hit for me too because thinking about my mindset when I was 18 years old, um, man, uh, it's like the world example, is going to be a better place. Huh? It was, it was, and we were we were all going to make it, and I still feel. That way, I do. Uh, but I think at 18, I was naive enough to think that um, it was going to be simple, that all we needed to do was just uh, say say this stuff out loud and make our voice heard. Um, but it really there's a lot more work that needs to be done. And this movie actually does a great job of, of showing that. But, you know, when I was 18, I, I remember thinking, like, after I left that movie, because, you know, let's put it, you talk about the climate of the film, let's talk about the climate of being um a young man in the south going to watch this movie you know and like i remember coming out of it at 18 years old and thinking like how in the hell could anyone ever disagree with gay rights and their right to marry their partners and all of this stuff and i remember thinking how how could this even how could this even be a question anymore i'm watching this movie that took place so long ago and and how is this still in question i mean this should not be in doubt and and it's still, I think, part of the sobering up of being 18 is the fact that it took another, what, uh, seven years for that to actually become the law of the land? So people disagreed with it for another seven years, and it's, it's, it's people amazing. People still disagree with it to this day. They do, they do, uh, because they live in a dark place. You know, they do disagree with it, and that's fine. But, uh, I, yeah, I just, I think... Um, this movie is is a is painful in in a lot of ways for me because but it's also not. It makes me want to run for office now. It makes me sad about the people who are out there right now and we don't have any leaders like Harvey Milk. We have a few some badass chicks in in the fucking Congress. Okay, shout out. Sure. No doubt, but you know, it just I don't know. That that's my take. It's a bittersweet thing because that time was a time of hope. And then here we are, you know, 12 years later, and we're in a time of, like, just utter desperation. I think it's really important for when people who aren't the marginalized or oppressed feel that sentiment that how can you not respect the rights of these people? It's obvious and clear to us, you know. But I think it's important when a story and a piece of art comes along, especially a film, a, like a, a Hollywood motion fucking picture. I feel like that's becoming one of my trademark lines. Hollywood motion fucking picture. Fucking picture, yes. Because it, it, this is to really show you the reality of what's going on to these people and why and how in, in detail, in gruesome detail, how they are marginalized and how they are attacked and oppressed. Because it's easy to be outraged or, you know, shocked that no one supports these people. But to show you what they're go what they're going through to still want to be accepted and achieve what they deserve. Uh, this film does that for me. You know, there's the whistle montage and scene. Um, and we're going to talk more about what it, what, what a group, what group security means to a marginalized group of people. And I just love that part of this movie and um, the gang, the gang. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you, I think there's no, that we will not find, we will not stumble upon a better segue into that exact thing, which is the opening of this movie. And the montage that rolls, it's, it, it, it does such an amazing 
amazing job of what a, cho- what a choice setting a tone for for a few things first of being the fact that you're going to see more real live real life uh news reports footage photographs and such and so on it also sets the tone of the film and gives you an idea of what that community had to endure during that time it 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 puts you in Harvey Milk's shoes before you ever see him giving his assassination tape or meeting a lover in a subway, you know, and having to look around the corner after feeling that excitement of a first kiss and having to make sure that no one saw it. Like that it it does. It it really just puts you in a place and sets the tone for this movie. And it's and it's Gus Van Zandt using every second of a movie to further along a story, right? Like every second of a movie. That's a good segue into talking about the director, but I just want to recap for anyone who's chosen to watch the movie after the show or just to give some some context to what we're talking about. The beginning of the film as the opening credits roll um, shows, uh, I believe that there's a specific uh, raid that it is footage from, but in in all fairness, it's just, it's it's gay clubs being raided by police and men being corralled into police cars being filmed to be humiliated and these men who you know they're they're risking their jobs they're risking their you know their families their their livelihoods to socialize with like-minded folk and they're shielding their faces they're embarrassed and they're you know they're they're being humiliated and corralled into fucking police cars like like cattle and um, treating as subhumans yes as subhumans and that's how gus van zandt chooses to begin the film and that's a this film is delicate in a lot of ways and beautiful and touching but it's also very you know visceral visceral and real and this is how this is how the fucking movie starts and it's and uh and it's it's really a great choice and i will say because i just don't want it to get lost in the in the context but um one thing that you mentioned already like this this film did was released two weeks before california voted on prop eight you know, and that that was a big part of that whole election cycle and that feeling of moving forward. And it's and I think the reason that comes to mind is the fact that we're talking about this footage that was filmed years and years, even before the start of this movie, like even the timeline of the movie. And and here, 50 years later, we're still, you know, still it's still not 2015. Like, how was that only five years ago? It just it's insane. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah. Moving on to this week's director, Gus Van Zant. Um, I keep saying Van Zant. It's Van Sant. I don't think he'd be upset. I'm sure it's his whole life they've been saying Van Zant. Also, Towns Van Zant, a musician I fucking love. Sorry, Gus. You're my boy. Okay. So Gus, Gus Van Zant. You know he's called uh, on the Wikipedia page. It, it it calls him one of the most prominent quote the one one of the most prominent auteurs of new queer cinema end quote and you know he does his first film mala noche um the the first gus van sant film i ever saw my own private idaho this film milk he deals with with gay storylines with oppressed people with the dark side of living your own life and and how that kind of works in the context of of reality um and he he deals with those kinds of storylines but he also directed goodwill hunting um this film, which was an Academy Award-winning, hugely successful film, uh, Finding Forrester, 
uh, and then a movie like Promised Land, which wasn't criti- critically or financially successful, but starred Matt Damon and John Krasinski. He's a Hollywood working director. He's a successful guy. Um, I think you have a, a personal story. You it's a sliding doors moment, celebrity passing thing with Gus Van Sant. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I do. Uh, I have a couple of moments with with the movie, but with with uh, Gus in particular, yeah, he. One of my first. I love that we keep calling him Gus. Like well, people that, say Marty. People say I don't know, but like Gus, Gus is like you. Something you call somebody when you forget their name. Hey, yeah, Gus. Well, yeah, Gus, I mean, Gus is just like a solid first name. That's well. It is, but it's also it's so it's so his first name too. I mean, and the reason I can vouch for this is I've still I've I've been like three feet away from the guy several times. I mean, and the, that's where the story is going. Is yeah, I looked up I looked up when I moved to to Portland, Oregon, and I got a uh, job as a maintenance guy at a like a storage warehouse in downtown Portland, and you know working there for a few months, normal old work, and then one day. Gus Van Zant rolls in, and you're like, "Wait, what? 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 What's going on?" And he starts signing in on the clipboard, and he's got a team with him. And you learn that over the next few weeks, they're going to be like cataloging his films and all of the inventory in his storage units in preparation for a move. And then you're like sweeping hallways. Of course, you're sweeping hallways on that hallway every time they're there. And oh, I'm yeah. seeing the the which chase. You know, being a projectionalist, uh, that those, those <laughs> shout out those film canisters come in those hexagon or octagon shaped yeah, yeah, tents. Yeah. You know, you see those on shelves in there with the little tape oh my God. with the name like the River Phoenix is on film in Yeah, this. yeah, yeah. And yeah. like so then when everybody leaves the unit, I'm like walking by and like touching the door and I'm like my hand is like two and a half feet from a a gust feature. You know, like was right he, there. Was he nice? Tell me about it. Oh, he was so, he was very shy, very, very uh, kept to himself. And you could you you might think that you know he's kind of a celebrity, but I mean he was in Portland. He's known in Portland, no doubt. You know, uh, that's that that was his base for that is his base. That's where he's lived. He yeah. got to start doing commercials for businesses in the Pacific Northwest. Portland is his home base. Yeah, and my own private Idaho kind of starts in Portland. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, in a, a couple of his movies, kind of, yeah, revolve uh, around that part of the country. Yeah, for sure. So you know, he's known, and you could think maybe he's just being like that because he doesn't really want to interact with anyone. But you could even tell with his staff and the people that were there working with him, like helping him do what he was doing. Like he's just he's not a person who's like likes to hog attention and like be loud. You can just tell. Um, it definitely dressed in like. Like he looked like a, I don't know, it was so like a such a typical guy of his age from Portland, like just a plain colored jacket, like zipper straight up, jeans. Are we know. getting a full on fashion appraisal here? I, I love mean, it. it just he was just such a guy of of himself. I I, I got Wait, s- you, such good vibes from the dude. It was just awesome to be that close to him. Honestly, Gus Van Sant, good vibes, checks out. Yeah, Sounds like, like a solid guy. I was just informed the other day uh, that I should have stolen the sign-in sheet that he signed in on, and that's why my partner is so much smarter than me because she would think to do that when I I wouldn't. So when he when I was standing there and he would have written Gus Van Sant, I would have like I I would have said something because I'm an asshole, but <laughs> not me. I'm sitting there like I'm like okay, so don't okay, hold on a little context. 
don't forget that at this time, I'm you and I were actively making a short film. So in my brain, I'm like living that little fantasy where it's like, holy shit, I'm making I got a some questions, film. man. And, and Gus Van Sand is in here right now. And this guy over here is clearly like his own little director. He knows what the fuck he's doing too. And like, maybe if I'm like nice and cool, they'll like talk to me and I'll be like, yeah, I'm making a short film. And like, maybe that's how it'll happen. You know, I'm li living that little, that little dream at the time. Yeah, but, but you blew it. I blew it. I know. No, you were respectful. You were a good employee. It's cool. I try. So should we, uh, we met our director. Should we move on to a Shabuya roll call and meet our principal leads? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Did I miss anything? I think we're ready, um, right? Um, Yeah, I think we're ready. Cool. Uh, Spicoli. Uh, sorry. Sean Penn. <laughs> Our leading man, Academy Award for Best Actor. Is it his? Was Mystic River before or after this? After. Mm. No, before. Okay. Pretty pretty positive before. We can we can verify that and put it in the notes or something. But pretty I've, pretty cool. I I found this article where uh you know people who were there uh, Cleve who was there before um, Scotty passed away. Like, the, they're um, mostly Cleve, I guess. Outspoken guy. We'll get to Cleve. That's my dude. Uh, the, the casting is, is, is great. Um, we always say that for the films we do because, I don't know, we need to pick better adjectives, I guess. Well, well but, but we also don't pick films with shitty casts, so there you go. It's a good spin. <laughs> what do you, what's your take on his performance in this film? Wait, who are we talking about? Sean? Sean Penn. Yeah, um, I think it's great. I mean, Sean Penn is a top-notch level actor, you know, and um, just to go ahead and crack the seal on this one, there is some grade A face acting in this one, folks. You can't even deny face acting. the level of face acting in this movie. It's just legit. But, um, no, I think... I think he's great. I mean, his when you watch video of Harvey Milk, you get the feeling that he has this infectious personality that speaking to him would be a pleasure, that you would want to engage with him. And I think that Sean Penn does an excellent job of bringing that to life. I think that Sean Penn does a great job of interacting with his, his co-actors, his co-stars, and, and I think he deserved – the award that he won. Um, and I'm glad that he won for this particular film. You know, I mean, I am. I think that a big part of this story is about community. And that story, the, the, the seed, if you will, is Harvey moving from New York to San Francisco. Yes. And, and to be a lightning rod in a community, to be a pillar. Uh, at, so the, the, the Castro district wasn't, a gay neighborhood predominantly before Harvey moved there. And, you know, he may, may have not single-handedly transformed it, but that character's charisma and welcome, welcoming attitude and open door policy to those like and different him that it, it, Sean Penn cultivates that essence in his performance. And 
you can tell that the people around him believe in him and they want to root for him and want want to champion him. And I, and Sean Penn is he's charismatic, he's funny, he's witty, and you know those nuances. And um, I think Sh- Sh- I want to root for Sean Penn. You know, portraying Harvey Milk, he does a good job of portraying somebody I want to want to root for. Yeah, for sure. And I I mean I found a lot of especially that part you just talked about his move. When you talk about his move from New York to San Francisco, that really hits home for me too because, you know, I moved from Charlotte to the Bay Area and I stood on those streets that in the film Don't you have are, Don't you have photos of the Castro? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I've got I definitely have photos of the Castro. There's no doubt in my mind. I still have a ticket stub in my wallet. Right now, from actually, you shouted it out earlier, a Hitchcock double feature, Marnie and... Oh, uh, I remember that. I wasn't there. I, st- I remember hearing about it. I yeah. still carry that stub in my wallet today. And I mean, nope. I, I uh, yeah, it's, I, that particular stuff hits a lot for me, but it, his performance is, I mean, he's, he's, you have to feel like Harvey was, a, a, again, a, you know, this really super charismatic person, but, but Sean brings that. He definitely brings that to to this movie. There's no doubt. His his eyes are so warm, and you want to talk to him in this movie. And he's, it, you know, I, I think he's at his best. His peak for me is right after they find out about the vote for Prop Six, and he's just he's so in the crowd, and he's on the verge of tears, and he's just absolutely losing it. And you get the feeling that Sean Penn is Harvey Milk in that moment, and that's what good acting is about, right? His expressions of joy in this film, you know, a, a, a drag queen grab, grabbing him by the hand onto the dance floor. There's a scene when uh, it's Scotty's birthday and they're uh, like play fighting. He throws like a pie in his face yes. and he like runs to the bed and jumps in. And like, I've done, like we've all done this. We're like, like a cute little, um, you know, seat inside joke. Like the bed is safe space. Like don't, we can't fuck around in here. I don't just that scene when they're chasing each other around. It's just, it's, it's beautiful, and Scott, it is beautiful. And Scott and Harvey, we'll talk when we get to Scott. Let's let's do a little back and forth about their relationship. But but that scene in particular, I remember that scene and the vulnerability that Sean Penn is portraying. And then uh, the, it's in one of my top scenes, which we're going to trade uh, later in the show, uh, uh, when he's like welcoming the Clive character and and offering warmth. Um, those are my two favorite, you know, snapshots of who Harvey Milk is and my favorite parts of Sean Penn's performance. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, I honestly kind of surprised it took this long. Welcome James Franco to the show. What's up? How we doing, Jimmy? Is, does he go by Jimmy? I think he should go by Jimmy. Does he go by Jimmy? He probably does. We have, we have Robert Redford Jr. already. We might as well call him Jimmy. I mean, I'm about give. I like to give famous people that I'll never meet nicknames. It's fun for me. Okay, so Jimmy it is. So this story is about an activist. This story is about gay rights. This story is about fighting what you believe in. This story is about death and tragedy. This story is also about a relationship fracturing under the pressure of all of those things that I just described to you. And I, I love the storyline of Scott and Harvey. And, and I love James Franco's performance. He has yeah. like an easiness. Um, you can tell he care physically, like physically, um, he cares about about Harvey and the way that's as the relationship changes, the way he's still there for him, in the shots. Uh, 
I love it. I think it's a great performance. Yeah, I have I have kind of a fun like take on that. I would say. Um, I know this is gonna kind of sound crazy, but Scott and Harvey's relationship is kind of like a like a mini Annie Hall inside of the film Milk, oh. and it's so beautiful because you think you know Annie Hall, you get the 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 lobster in the pot scene, and they're chasing each other around the kitchen, and just the the beautiful scene that you mentioned before with the pie in the face. And you know, don't don't attack me. And it's, it's just like we've so all great. done we've all done that, you know. Absolutely. And it's like, and then Annie Hall, the reason it's such a beautiful film is it progresses through to show how that fades and how it wanes and 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 things happen, right? And um the other part to that is the fact that Scott is all like no matter the fact that they're separate, Scott tends to show up for Harvey at the moments when when at the right moments, right? And I think that Harvey never lets go of Scott, not even not even for a moment. You know, he's uh, Scott's always part of him. And I think I, that is one of my favorites too. And I, I love the fact that you kind of get this, you know, this beautiful microcosm of a relationship. And it does feel like a, a really beautiful Annie Hall type of thing. And then it's inside of this other movie. And that's, it is one of my favorite parts too. So I just wanted to get that out there for the world. I, I've been fortunate enough to like have uh, moments with ex exes where there's still there's no weirdness and there's no animosity and they're looking out for best interests and they're like calling bullshit and looking yeah. out for you as a friend and that's just how beautiful is that? There's a scene when Harvey is imploring the members of his staff if they that are homosexual to if they haven't come out of the closet to their friends and families to do so right now because if they know one of them they'll vote for one of them. And there's this moment where Scott and Harvey have since separated and there's, it's, it's tight shot in a little alleyway and Scott just has his hands behind his hips. And he's just like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. He's, 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 yeah. you know, we, we could talk about that choice of Harvey if you want to, I'd rather talk about that scene's influence on their storyline and how he's, he's not jealous. Like Harvey's younger boyfriend is prancing around there in the background. And, but Scott is, he's looking out for Harvey's best interest and the movement's best interest because he knows that's what Harvey would want. And just that moment is just beautiful. And we see the beginnings of the relationship. They're young and they're moving to San Francisco and, you know, Scott's by his side and is his first campaign manager. But then at that moment, he's his friend. Yes. And, yes. We're gonna t- and, and I just, I love that scene so much. I've, I've like been in that situation, you know, and well, I, it, and it's I a good, it. It, I love it too. And I can relate to it from a different standpoint. Like I, you know, you've got, one side of the spectrum that's more closely aligned with what's reflected in the film. I have kind of a different take on it. I'm in a relationship that I've been in for 10 years. The person I'm in a relationship with, uh, I love dearly. And I don't say that at 10 years in as fluff. I say that and I mean it. And I know that the relationship that I'm in, if it were to ever end for whatever reason, would continue on just like that relationship and there's nothing like a person in your life to keep you grounded and keep you in line and and because they know you and when you step outside of you that person can can correct you because you've let them in you know and it is that's a powerful scene and it's a beautiful scene and again we're going to use that word beautiful because this movie is beautiful it's it's a gorgeous portrait of a million things it's masterful filmmaking telling a great story it just you you could 
heap accolades on this. I, I really don't – I don't think I'm going to be able to find anything. You know, we had a love-hate in the last ep. I don't think I'm going to be able to find really anything that I can critique about this movie. I've got one look by James Franco, which I'll get to later because it's one of my <laughs> top moments. But it's not even really a criticism. It just cracks me up. So I yeah, think this film like, is, like, is delicate and powerful. It is. I think those – that's what it makes me think of. But to, to go back on – to finish up James' performance – um, I'm glad we touched on on that because I, I I don't it's kind of a theme as we quote unquote rewatch this shit for for the episodes. I would never have picked up on that as like as a as a younger person. Yeah, and it's it's such an important important facet of Harvey Milk's story. It and is. and I and in my reading, um, you know, the, the kind of leaves the open door that they were supposed to be together and that they would have probably gotten together later in life and that. And in my re- light research, like that's not really the case. They were close friends and supporters of each other, but that wouldn't have happened. Um, but uh, yeah, James, Sean, Harvey, Scotty. Yes, yes. Although I think the next step that we're gonna shout out in this Shibuya is probably, in my opinion, a little better than Franco. But hey, maybe it's a maybe it's a silly take. I don't know. Uh, is the we may have a different list. Is the one you have next a male or a female? A male. Uh oh. Cool. No, we're good. We're sticking with that one. So before I we get to this next performance, I I've slowly been building a squad on the Digest show. You know, I'd have Daniel Plainview on my squad, but I think he's. I just don't think he'd be focused on the main goal. I couldn't. I count on him to be on time or not steal money from me. Um, <laughs> network, I picked up my first member of my squad, and that was Diana, played by Faye Vavavum Dunaway. She's on my squad. She's evil, but I'm not fucking with her, okay? Right? I want this shit goes down. She's in charge of media relations, and she's running shit, okay? Almost okay. Famous, almost famous bunch of dirty fucking hippies, like, Russell Hammond can come along if he wants. He can like play guitar in the background. Starfire. Okay, she sounds like fun. Uh, the second concrete member of my squad was Sergeant Dignam, Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> on my team. I'd like to announce the next member of my squad that I will be slowly assembling on the Digest show. And that is Emil Hirsch's portrayal of Cleve Jones. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. I, it's my personal favorite moment, uh, performance of, of the film. Yeah, I mean, I, mine too. I, I think, um, you know, if I can just allude to something you've already kind of gone to just a, a moment ago. You know, we talked in our first episode about a, a huge character, um, Daniel Plainview, and how Daniel Day-Lewis – portrayed him and how you basically just watched the movie for that role. And you know, a lot of people, a lot of actors have a role like that. Um, and Sean Penn is fucking epic in this movie. But there's a difference in this and a movie like There Will Be Blood. He's surrounded by amazing performances. And this, in my opinion, is it, it, the second best, if not the best performance of the movie. And I think if Emil Hirsch... Had, if his character had been the main character of this movie, he probably would have been nominated and won as well. I mean, it, it's a great performance. And also, it's like, 
fuck yes, I want that guy on my squad. This kid, like, is a hustler on the streets of San Francisco, a young guy trying to make it, and this old dude, he thinks, tries to hit on him. Oh, that conversation is so... Oh, the way it's a great they scene. It's, it sounds like something you would hear on the streets today. Like, no shit. Same it's good writing, for sure. It is. In any case, this, this man's sass is unparalleled, but it's subtle. It's not overpowering. He's a people's person. There's several instances when we get to our favorite parts. I got my one of my favorites is a scene depicting how Cleve. He, he says like, "Can you get a thousand people in six hours?" What does he say? Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah! Fuck yeah, I can. Fuck He's yeah! Confident. He turns people away at the when Harvey finally gets uh, elected. But like these obviously straight laced and potentially most likely straight, uh, sexually orientated pe- men show up at the party to. They're, I think they were the um, – It's the magazine owner who is actually gay, but he won't back Harvey because oh, he's not – He's too out and open and proud of himself. And, and Cleve just does this little, like, little head bobble, hand on the hip. He's like, sorry, we're full. We're full. Like, he's, like, he's just someone you want on your team. And he – and Harvey also implores him to be himself. Yes. He said, don't wear a suit. Wear the tightest fucking jeans you fucking have. When you come in here and take the stairs, because you can make a grand entrance. Yes. It's great. And and I, I, and it's, it's just so fun. It's like the, uh, Emil Hirsch's performance is like this shining little light, uh, throughout the film. And there's, there's also the scene where we're going to talk about Harvey as a politician and how he learns to be, you know, a community activist into a, uh, an actual politician. And it, unfortunately, it's cut short. But uh, Cleve plays a vital role in that gl- that growth, especially in the scene with including the bullhorn and cutting down the power to the, the, the train car uh, situation. And Cle- Cleve is a vital fucking role. Uh, he goes on to be a very, you know, important in his own right um, AIDS activist, and 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 gay rights activist uh, Scott does as well to mention we've already talked about him but again just just a little twinkle in the eye that's my favorite part about movies is just a little just the, the truth the little shoulder shrug the wink and cleave is this and Emil Hirsch nails it he's so charming yes I agree and if I can just give briefly my favorite part of Cleve Jones and in this this film Emil Hirsch's sorry performance. if I went on too long no, you didn't. You go on, man. I mean, it's right behind you. It's it, my boy's got a background behind him that that you can't see, but it's that scene. It's that scene. He's talking about how he's just come back from Spain, I believe, and he's seeing yeah. he's seeing people protest in the street, and he's talking about how someone took a rubber bullet to the head. Not just somebody, but a, a drag queen. A drag queen takes a a rubber bullet to the head, and they're bleeding, and there's blood in the streets, and they keep, keep fighting. Keep fighting. Keep fighting. And an equally eloquent part of that scene is Harvey's reply to him, and it's, yes, yes, we can have that revolution here, but we have to do it here. We have to do it on our street. Then we have to do it on our block. Then we have to do it in our neighborhood. And then we have to do it in our city. And it's such a beautiful – just because – Cleve Jones in that moment represents that 18-year-old self, that raw feeling of like, I just want to fight and change the world. I'm going to be part of something great. And Harvey's there with that calculated kind of 
commentary that says, no, power doesn't work that way. You don't just get to say it. You got to take it. You have to organize for your power. And it's a beautiful moment. And, and, and Emil is great. I got goosebumps again. Me too. Oh, I just hope I don't cry, quite frankly. Quite James Frankly. Okay. <laughs> James uh, Frankly. Let's move on to JB. Yeah, 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 for sure. Stellar, what a stellar actor, for real. So Josh Brolin has uh, come to be a premier actor in Hollywood. I'd say a, a great leading man. Um, but this film is, his, his, the character he's portraying is, is broken and fractured. It's not a sexy role. Um, he's the antithesis to our hero, Harvey Milk. He is eternally uncomfortable around everything and anything that our protagonist says, does, walks, tastes, you know, anything. Um, he is, and they try to, they kind of explain that in the film, you know, a little bit. Or they, they try to, that he, he, you know, he's closeted. What do you mean? Well, there's the scene in, in Harvey's office when his aides, you know, are talking about him and they're they're trying to say, well, why are you by, why do you want to back you the think psychiatric? He's cute. Yeah, you think he's kind of cute, and he's telling him no. You know, I've seen that look in his eyes, and I know what it's like to live that life, and it's it's really painful. And you can tell in this film, Harvey Har, Harvey feels Harvey has a knack of trying to save people, which is a theme also. He does, but he's, he's trying to save Dan. Well, and you can tell that he is, and and you kind of get the feeling that maybe he's right, but then also you just wonder if maybe Dan White is like always had mental health issues that never really pinned out. That's what I've always been inclined to believe, but the fact that he potentially might be a a a closeted homosexual, I I did not come across that, but. Makes sense. You're right. The film may or may not nod to that. Um, he's not a complete person. <laughs> well, I mean, I, will, I mean, I don't. Dan to, White has issues. Not to contradict or anything. Quote Dan White. It he does, but like the film definitely not like the film doesn't nod to it. I mean, Harvey Milk says it. Like he he okay, absolutely yeah, says, okay, yeah, yeah. you know, that he he thinks he's in the closet. Uh, but but. I don't know that character. I mean, he does a. I, I think, I think he does a good job of playing that role. You know. Oh, I think he's great. Yeah, you know, fresh off No Country for Old Men. Um, this is, he's he's got a good one-two punch, two-year role, uh, R O L L of R O L E apostrophe S's. <laughs> roll of rolls. Did you like that? Roll of rolls. <laughs> Can okay. One thing at the very end of this movie, if we're just going to talk about Dan White for a second and Josh Brolin, but uh, at the end of this movie, it talks about his junk food diet. Like, what the fuck? This guy. Oh, well, let's water. talk about let's talk about that. So fuck his that. defense, his defense's uh, explanation of why he. So Dan White goes on to murder the mayor of San Francisco and supervisor Harvey Milk. He is convicted of manslaughter, not murder. Convict and sentenced to 25 years in prison, of which he uh, spends five years in prison, gets out, returns to San Francisco, commits suicide. The man's obviously not right. No, not at all. And he, but the junk food defense, what the just, hell? 
Yeah, like isn't what that the what fuck? it was called? The junk food defense. Yeah, person? yeah, that, yeah. That's what Dude. they call it. It's like what I mean. So sad. And okay, sorry. Little little like side note here. Usually you're the one that hits me with this kind of shit, but can you name? who actually had the role of Dan White prior to Josh Brolin and would have made their third film with GVS if they had taken the role. Third film with Gus Van Zandt? Yep. And your hint is America's sweetheart. Matt Damon? Matt Damon. He had to withdraw. But yes, he actually had to this is verifiable on IMDb, folks. But yes, he he did. He had the role. He had I'm, it with I'm, I'm glad he withdrew, and I'm glad because Dan White needs. First of all, Josh Brolin looks shockingly like Dan White. Mm-hmm. And and Dan White needs this believable, square-jawed, conservative masculinity. I mean, I don't know if Matt Damon necessarily falls short on delivering that, but I absolutely get where you're coming from. I mean, I do think Matt Damon's like a <laughs> – I mean, he's the Bourne. He's Jason Bourne. You know, he's like kind of a badass. Yeah, but he's not James Brolin. No, he's not. He's got that like – Yeah, chested, you're right. Barrel-chested you fucking – Like see him riding a horse with a cowboy hat and like spitting in a fucking bucket or some shit. I get you. Yeah. I can't see a spittoon in Matt Damon's sphere, but – Josh Brolin's got a fucking spittoon. That's what I mean. Yes, for real. In any case, that that sort of you know inherent masculinity plays into Josh Brolin's performance. Um, yeah, Harvey Milk's antihero. Absolutely. We're gonna talk about the death scene. Uh, Dan White goes on to, like I mentioned, murder Harvey Milk in cold blood. Um, and I mean, I can't wait to get there. But let's keep moving on the Shibuya roll call. Whoa. whoa. Who do you got next? I think the biggest, I mean, for me, Allison Pill. Yeah. I mean, I love her. Yeah. I love her too. She's great in this movie. And I also love, um, I love that moment when she comes up and she's like, yeah, I talked to the women. They want to know if there's a place for us in this movement, you know? And it's like, she's got bigger balls than anybody in here. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's great. It really, it really is great. It's a good, what did she, she say? You scared of a girl? <laughs> and and okay, right? To bring in my you you know, you've got your Hollywood motion fucking picture. Mine's face acting, folks. That's where it's at. Just to bring that back in, <laughs> I want to shout out Miss uh, Pill and Mr. Franco at Harvey's vigil coming into the Castro. It's almost sad to like be like jovial about talking about this, but when they see that vigil. Their faces, like that's again, it's that nuance. It's really we call I'm calling it face acting. It's really nuanced acting. Is shade, is, yeah, shading. That's what I it, think of it as. Like, sure, the, she's got her arm over Cleve, and they're yeah. Well, it's her and Scott are walking up. They see this vigil, and and they're like concerned because they were at City Hall and no one was there. And then they turn and they see all these people, and their faces light up with the candles, and and their faces just. They change, and it's it, they're so in that moment, and they and I just love that stuff. I mean, it's just it's what it's again. It's just what good movies are made of. It really is. Is that that kind of acting? It's also just fun that this is like a boys' club sort oh, of. Yes. movie, and, and that this badass bitch comes in, and, and then is, she gets the endorsement. That was the best. Oh, one. and Clive oh. go. Uh, Cleve goes. Uh, you got 
uh, bored for being a good businessman, and she he turns to Cronenberg and goes, "You are good. Like you are sane. You are good at what you do." I love that. I think it is, and she also produces one of my other favorite. I mean, we just talking about it, my favorite milk moments is when he's like, "I just want to be alone with my newspaper." Yeah, I mean, he's just an old man. Yeah, I mean, you know, like you, we're both creators. We've both done things, and it's like you hear us. You hear your song play like live on the radio. That's a moment. You just want to hear it. You want to leave me the fuck alone. I want to hear that. Me, I see my one of my paintings published in a newspaper, and someone took a picture. I'm like, I just want to see it. It feels really good, and it's like leave me alone I with really, my newspaper. I relate to that moment, and it's like it's a good moment. And she's the one that hooks it up, and she really fucking comes through and she really was what they needed the whole time was a new perspective in the room yeah yeah yeah, for sure so uh the other performances i think we have decided to talk about was victor garber who i just chose because i've just grown up watching victor garber he's uh, yeah my family loved the show alias that he was in i I grew up watching musicals he's in godspell um he plays the mayor of san francisco um not a lot of lines not a lot of screen time but one of those faces you're just happy to see. And then there's Jack. Um, Harvey's younger, sexier boyfriend. Yeah, Diego really? Luna. Diego Luna. Yeah, the actor who portrays that role. Have you ever had a friend who just has a significant other that just always is causing a scene, always drinks too much, you know is taking your, your friend for granted, is not good for your friend, but your friend just can't let go of? That's That's Jack. And it's referenced several times throughout the movie. Yeah, and that uh, I got to tell you, you were you I, were squirming there. My fucking heart hurts when I see Harvey walk into that room with all those notes. That is the most fucked up, selfish thing that you can do to a person. In in that regard, you know, aside from violating their their person, that's Jack, the, the, yeah. That's I tough. think that's the worst thing you can do. And you know, like, there's a scene. Uh, Jack is left alone at home uh, watching soap operas, and there, death is referenced. There's a scene where Harvey is talking to uh, Dan White, and he says, "You know, I've been in four serious relationships. Three of them have killed themselves." And all of them have been my fault. Jack kills himself because he's not getting enough attention from Harvey. Jack is, attaches himself to Harvey because he's famous. And, you know, Harvey falls in love with him. But he's not in love with the, tr- with, with the real Harvey. He's taking advantage of him. He's a leech. Well, um, and I would, I would argue, too, that Harvey loves Jack, but he's not in love with Jack. He's in love with Scott. He's, and he he's, stays in love with Scott. And he says, and Scott asks him, what's up with that? And, and Harvey says, he needs me. Exactly. That, yes. And, and Harvey's, you know, a paternal, you know, character. He likes to take care of people. All of, all of this, this, this tribe of young gay men are, he's the, he's the head of it. He's the starlet of it. Not starlet. That's a, that's the wrong word. He's, he's, he's the mama bear. He's looking after all these people and he just has that instinct and, Jack kind of scratches that itch for him, but it's not healthy. Yeah, I, I agreed. And it's, it wasn't, I don't think it was, I don't think it was healthy from the start. You know, I mean, it, it did, it did, at least it didn't appear that way. And I just, 
I mean, Jack is that character adds a lot to the film. I, I won't lie about that to the story. But again, I just, um, I just wish, I just hate that part, man. Like that's just such a dirty move when you you blame your own death by your own hands on someone else. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think that it's, yeah, it's it's just it feels it's like if you. I'm sorry. I may maybe I have personal experience with this, which I do, but it just feels like a cowardly thing. Like if you're gonna exit the world, you did it. Don't blame someone else. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think it's really. Again, we were talking about Scott and Harvey's relationship and how that's like a huge part of the film. And I, I, I really am interested in, and am entertained by stories of people from humble beginnings who uh, achieve some sort of success or, or fame in particular. And they have like someone with them by their side and a relationship and how that changes. And the difference of character between Scott and Jack is, is hard to discern. It's, it's black and white, really. And... And it's it's just an unfortunate byproduct, I think, of Harvey getting attention, and yeah, yeah, agreed. Like almost like a yeah, because actually Jack's first words to him is "You're uh, you look more handsome in the poster, right?" So, bam, there you go. No shit. Like he tells him he loves him the first time they sleep together. I know. I'm sorry. Red flag. Red flag. Red well, flag. Yeah, absolutely. And like, get out now. What is it? To Harvey's credit, Harvey knows because he looks at him and he's like, do you, do you even know, know my name? Yeah. I mean, so he knew what he would. Yeah. Yeah. Se- mm. God, what a movie. <laughs> so uh, do you want to do a little trade-off, like our favorite parts of the film? Let's do it. You go first. I like when you go first. It makes me feel good to give to my friend. Okay, okay. Um, so I I think mine are probably in no particular order, I would say, but yeah, not no particular order. I'll start with this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I alluded to it earlier. There's not a criticism, but there's one scene that I laugh at that's not actually supposed to garner a laugh like in any way. Um, and it's it's James Franco as Scotty mean mugging Harvey through the window at Harvey's victory party. I don't know why, but it's like this. It just look. bothers you. It, no, it's this look. I can't, I can't separate that face from like pineapple express. You know, <laughs> this is the end, like the, yeah. the interview. I can't separate the look he does from some stuff from the, and I just, I just, I cackle a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, I can't help it. It just is. It's a lighthearted moment for me in this movie because there's not a lot. And I enjoy the fact that it is lighthearted. My number three pick is is a lighthearted pick. We talked about the scene where Harvey asks Cleve, how how long would it? Can you get a thousand people in six hours? And he says, fuck yeah. Uh, Right before they're setting the stage for a riot. um, And they're going to control it to have Harvey come in and save the day. Uh, and there's this scene where uh, Cleve's in a phone booth and they just like Brady bunch this shit where like all these oh. people start popping up. 
and I and I just love. I think just it's it's really like out of out of uh, like flavor of the film, like color wise, like aesthetically, it doesn't really fit, and it just pops super well. And it shows, you know, it shows gay men like standing there in the short shorts with their shirt off. It shows just regular dudes sitting there, like it just shows the community of which we're working inside of. And I and I love that scene. You know, that's beautiful. I. I 100% agree with you that I was saving that for later during the, like the filmmaking part of portion. And I think it's crazy that you exactly articulated exactly what I was trying to say. And we did not talk about that at all. Cause that's what friends are for. It was great. Cause that was exactly everything I wanted to say. So point, point, point said. All right. Number two, you. Okay. Um, number two for me is, Okay, so part of the reason why Harvey and Scott's relationship disintegrate is because Scott just can't deal with the life of a political campaign, which in this movie I think probably accurately is made out to be a pretty, you know, hectic, uh, complex thing. And when Jack kills himself, he says, "What could I? What could you have done?" He said, "I." I could have been home at six o'clock instead of six fifteen. Correct. Correct. And um, so Scott is putting dinner on the table table for himself and Harvey, and the apartment is full of Harvey's campaign staff who are not paying Scott like a bit of attention. And he starts like putting the water glass down on the table, and he's like, "Excuse me, excuse me," under his breath, like while he's putting the stuff down, and then. He gets really upset and he just yells, this apartment is now off limit. Good night. And then he starts walking around to everybody. And he's like, good night. Good night. Whose jacket is this? Okay, here you go. Good night. Down the stairs. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. As they're walking away. And it's like, I'm sorry. I told you guys earlier. He texted me after my bedtime. That is some me ass shit. Get the fuck out of my shit. Just like, it's over. It's time to be done. And I want to like, I want you to leave. And the cap to it is the cherry on top of that scene. That that scene for me is they're sitting there and Scott says to Harvey, don't you dare talk about anything political or campaign related or anything. And they sit there and there's a pause. And then Harvey's like, can I just... And Scott's like, don't you, don't you dare. And Harvey's like, this is the most wonderful meal I've ever had. And they just laugh and smile with which it is just such a beautiful fucking moment because I've been there. Like I've been there before and it's, it's great. It's that's just, I love it. My number two movement moment. It moves me and is a movement is uh, when Harvey gets a phone call. Uh, from someone uh, in Minnesota. And it's the yeah. first time that I think Harvey realizes that his movement isn't going to just touch San Francisco or the Castro or California, but America. And someone calls them, calls Harvey. This young man lets him know that he was going to kill himself and he didn't believe in life anymore. And he heard about Harvey's story. And not only did he want to hold on and continue living, but he wanted to leave. It kind of pans out and shows that the, the young man is in a wheelchair. And if I have any gripe with the movie, that just seems like 
overkill to me. Uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. But, but as Harvey, maybe it's true. So, it may be true. It may be true. But as 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 Harvey's dealing with his first, you know, public street moment with uh, protesting out on the streets, being pulled in that direction, and then being pulled to the telephone, and the first thing he says is, "You know, I can't talk right now." Uh, yada yada yada. Can't talk right now. Blah blah blah. And then he re- and then he has a sincere moment with someone across the country. It's the first time you see that his his impact is is not just locally, and that's my my second pick. Yeah, yeah, and I I hope to. I hope to come back to that scene as we talk about some of the filmmaking and just some of our favorite parts about this. But um, yeah, no, um, sorry. It's hard. This, this, this film is like that. Like you get caught up thinking about the shit that's ha- like when you're just saying that I'm sitting there in my mind, I'm watching the movie in my head and I'm getting so like, God, this fucking movie just hits, man. Like it's, it's a gut, it's a gut feeling. And I, I'm sorry. Uh, okay, number three for me. Woo. Number three or number one? Number one, number one. My favorite, my favorite moments of this movie. It's a series. I can't help it, but I call them Harvey's political tack because that's really what it is. He's. I love sharp. how he learns to be a politician. Yeah, There's yeah. So but, many good moments of that. But ju- and I think it's rooted in his absolute advocacy for himself and who he is and how he's proud to be himself and what that means. And I think I'm going to give, give these really quick, but they're, they're little remarks that Harvey makes. And what they are are they're little they're, – he's just implanting seeds of doubt in his, in, in his opponent's heads, his political opponent's heads. So when he's talking to his first opponent that, opponent that he runs through, I think it's Stokes or something like that. He's running uh, for city supervisor for the first time. And he's coming out of the debate that they have, and he tells him, he says – you're much more handsome <laughs> person. I can't wait, wait to, lick, to you lick you in the polls. And he's like, he gives it that perfect like spacing. And it's like, you have to believe that Harvey Milk was like actually on point like that. It's just too good. And he follows that up by like later, he tells Dan White they're on television and he gets this opportunity. Like, the host is kind of pitting them against one another. And Harvey just, he's like, whoa. Whether we like it or not, we're in bed together. And he, again, gives that perfect pause. And he's like, politically speaking. And it's like, it's just he's poking at these people. And then the last one, it's the last of the trio, is at Dan's yes! christening. Yes! That's my favorite part! His son's christening inside the church. His wife comes up to them as they're talking. And he's like, sorry, we were, we were talking shop. And then Harvey goes... Gay rights ordinance. That's my fault. My fault. And I love it. It's just so great. And he His says it loud. Like, that's appropriate. He's like, yes. No, we're talking gay rights oh. ordinance. My Go fault. Go get him, Harvey. You're just like, I just want to clap out loud for that. Damn. Well, I was going to try and do some like weird uh, side note of my favorite moments being when the gang and Harvey make opponents uncomfortable. And you just like knocked out the majority of my favorite moments. Oh, I did some- sorry. No, it's great. I did some of Cleves earlier, and then you just did my favorite Harvey ones. Like, like th- this this movie is about community and the tribe and the gang and the boys being there, starting a revolution. Yeah. And part of it is sticking it to these stick-up-your-ass straight white dudes. And I love how fearless they are about it. For sure. It's great. There's also the talk show, the morning talk show scene, where he's talking about the firemen and shit. That's a really funny part. It's great. 
So my number one pick is like a sentimental moment. And he's, as Cleve comes into the fold, he just got back from Spain. And we already talked about that scene. But there's just a great line where Harvey says to Cleve, you know, when this is all said and done, Cleve is heart, heartbroken over like a, 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 over the breakup of a lover. And I think Harvey knows, Harvey has like a, a bigger picture vision. He just sees things from a different perspective. And Cleve is younger and, and needs that perspective. And he says, when it's all said and done, you won't remember who, who your greatest lovers or who your greatest friends were. And I, I just that part, <laughs> it just gets me in the feel. It, I love it. It's it's the most. It's just a perfect microcosm of the honest sentiment of of the film. Yeah, and I think for any passionate person, it's it's sound advice that translates from lovers to careers to um, you know ideas for yourself. You, you when you are a, a, a passionate individual. You're going to fall in love with things and, and you're going to fall out of love with things and people, friends, lovers. I mean, all of this, you're going to, you know, you're going to, it's just beautiful advice. So you get nothing but kudos from me. I mean, I'll second that motion. I mean, it, it's a great, it's great advice to live by, to fucking live by. I mean, Harvey Milk to live by Harvey Milk versus the machine, man. Let's live by it. What is it? What's his line about Greece? In that moment, about Harvey Milk and the Machine, he says, "I know a little something about Greece. I don't know, just another Harvey Milk rib, rib, elbow rib." He is. He's great. He's great. So we've done some of our favorite moments of the film. We've got some quotes in there. Talk about our favorite characters. Let's talk about some of the motifs and devices that Gus Van Sant uses to capture our attention. And I think this kind of. leans towards your expertise. So why don't you take take the, the top of this section? Okay, uh, quick comment to start it off. Every frame of this film is a photograph that you would want to look at if it were hung on a gallery wall, and several of them could be paintings. And it's beautiful, and it's... It's always nice to see a filmmaker give care to everything. And an example of that for me is Harvey, uh, toward the end of the movie, is talking to Scott after he's been to the opera. And it's uh, the morning before he's going to die. And he's sitting in a, a high back chair. It's very symmetrical. And one of the first things you're taught as uh, a photographer or an artist is you want to play to the edges. You don't want to have like things awkwardly touching the edge of the plane. And in that frame, he's so perfectly situated. The tops of the chair so perfectly in the corner, him fully in frame, the cord of the phone, the phone, his face half lit in the sunlight, half dark like a a fucking Caravaggio painting. It's – it's – it's just fucking beautiful, and there, that much care is given to every scene in this movie, and I just have to get that out there. Whether it's dancing, protesting, no matter what it is, that eye is on that camera like that throughout this whole movie, and it's beautiful. It's, it's fucking beautiful. I mean that's one thing, so I don't know if you want to put two cents in on that or if you just want me to move to another big one I have, but 
I mean, well, well, the two things that I kind of wanted to touch on for the listeners is the we know that Harvey Milk is going to be killed within the first twelve minutes of the movie. Mm. There's this overreaching narrative that uh, Harvey's recording uh, a kind of autobiography of his time as an activist and politician. This is a real life instance. This recording actually exists, and it's threaded throughout the film. The thing that's mm. also threaded throughout the film mm. is archive footage of modern 1977, 78 America, uh, the Anita Baker situation, the the Briggs Initiative, what the the whole uh, movement is fighting against. It, it's intercut with not only the great performances that we've detailed, but also real life footage, and that's just a really creative. An interesting choice that Gus Van Sant makes. Gus Van Sant has also made great documentaries, so he's he's malleable and uh, uh, his abilities with with archive footage are just as uh, yes. detailed and full fledged as being uh, a Hollywood motion picture director. Are though absolutely, and this film has the feelings of a um, of a documentary. And one of the things I'll comment on because you you kind of hit on it is. The way he opens with Harvey recording this tape for him, if he's assassinated, you know, and then he lets Harvey introduce himself to the audience of the film, and then he cuts to a historical clip of Senator Dianne Feinstein announcing that Harvey Milk and Mayor, uh, what is it, uh, Moscone or I, I mean, whatever the mayor has been have been shot dead, and you, anyone who is following politics or watches news when you see the face of that particular senator diane i mean you you know that face and you know that that's real that's historical and then and then he comes back uh and cuts to harvey in 1970 which is the start of the story if you will right versus the end and and what that does is it casts this uh darkness because that narration as you said last throughout the film it casts this darkness over the movie that even in the moments when you're inspired and you feel it's fun and it's funny uh you feel this darkness that that's coming and it's and and i find that that's something that elevates this film into kind of an a piece of art that 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 uh uh, keeps you on the edge. I don't. I don't know. It, 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 it's a building thing that happens with that device that he does of 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 the assassination tape being the narration because it constantly reminds you that he's going to die. You know, no matter what he's talking about, no matter when it's inspiring or or so forth. The movie is sincere and warm and and as we said, delicate and beautiful. But as it makes you feel comfortable, some of those moments that. Josh and I just detailed it's it make, when you're that comfortable you you're easily leveled with and I think because it allows you to be the sense of community is such a big part of the film and when you feel like you're a part of that you could be honestly spoken to and I think the the movie kind of guides you in makes you feel good and comfortable and inspired and then it looks you dead in the eye and said these people are going to be killed these are not issues as Harvey says we're fighting for our lives. And I think the movie does a beautiful job of, of explaining that balance to its viewer. You yeah. have a, another big moment or two that you want to I've talk got, about? I've got one left about just the filmmaking in general. Um, just, I'll make it pretty quick. But there's a, there's a, a three-set 
of shots that really, really, really fucking shots. God, I love them. I mean, it, and I'm in my notes, and I just got to share this. I called it uh, a reflection refrain, and 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 I love it because it matches the 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 poetic nature of this. So there there are a series of shots in this movie, and there are more than one, or more. There are more than just these three, but there are they are reflections of people's face inside of glass watching something else happen and the first one is harvey's reflection in the window when he's looking out over the castro at the streets when the crowd's gathering and they're on the verge of a riot and this is after the dade county vote in florida to repeal gay rights and, and protection for for gay citizens and he's looking at them and it's writing and it's actually right when the phone ring, rings and he talks to you know your first favorite moment in the film which is the kid telling him you know this is nationwide I'm in Minnesota so then right after that Harvey goes outside he takes the bullhorn he's going to start the moment that leads and that's the first moment I cry in the movie like there are multiple but I cry at that one when he goes out there and he starts talking I'm angry cuz I cry cuz I'm angry too but I'm angry uh, too yeah but Scott's reflection in the window I fucking of Castro love camera watching Harvey go out to lead this crowd and Scott knows that he's lost a part of Harvey starting right now. Harvey's a leader now. Harvey is the leader of a movement and he's lost a part of someone that he loves and he'll never be able to get that back. And it's the campaign thing. It's all of it. And the third one, I got the goosebumps again. The third one is Dan White watching Harvey on TV after Harvey has clearly politically beaten him and he's chewing his nails and his reflections in the TV and he's watching Harvey and there's just this eerie, there's this eerie vibe, you know, because all those reflections are pivotal moments. Like Harvey's character becomes Harvey Milk in that moment when he grabs that bullhorn and he goes out there and he knows that this is his movement to lead. That's a big thing. When Scott watches Harvey go out there, he knows he's going to have to leave Harvey. You know, when Dan White is watching this and chewing on his fucking fingernails, that's when he gets the idea that he's got to do what he's got to do. And they're pivotal moments for these characters, and they they happen in reflections, and I find that very interesting. Well done, friend. That was beautiful. Sorry, I love that. Why did you just apologize when I told you something was beautiful? Because I was born and raised in the South by Baptist people, and I apologize for everything. Either that or your English, as I understand it. That's how they operate as well. Whichever way you want to go. So before we wrap things up, we wanted to give things some historical context, I guess. And we wanted to talk about why this film is relevant today. Um, there was, there was a quote as one of the archival footage moments. It's a local news station doing reporting on Harvey's work. And it says, and against Anita Bryant, and it says evangelical Christians had never been involved in a controversial issue before now. And I just thought that just gave me pause. It blew my mind. I was like, what the fuck? I, this, is, I, this is one of the first times that nationally a religious movement had an impact on on national issue opinion. I ha- I definitely have something to say about 
Anita Bryant. Okay. And what I want to say is that, folks, is exactly what fucking Nazism looks like if it's in, a, in America. That right there. And you can see that today on the internet. You can see it on certain cable news channels. You can see that crazy fucking look when 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 Anita Bryant's talking about evils you can see that that fucking look you can see that shit and I'm gonna tell you right now it's just like that saying when it comes to America it's gonna come wrapped in a flag and carrying a cross and that's what that looks like right there and I love that that's in this film I love it so I think something I just caught wind of is so right now in America, you know, it's tough to talk about, isn't it? I'm not yeah. sure how I want to approach this. So I'll, I'll use the film as an example. So, so Dan White is trying to politically create motivation and reason uh, and gain, uh, find support for his causes on a moral basis because it's right or wrong. And Harvey Milk says, you know, he literally says, we'll make these 90% aware of this 10%. He says to Dan, like I referenced earlier, he says to Dan White, these aren't issues. These aren't political, you know, lampposts. These are, we're fighting for our fucking lives. Yes. This isn't politics. You know, Harvey no. learns to become a politician, especially in that scene where they set the stage for him and come to save the day and play to the media. They, he does learn how to do that. Yeah, but I think this movie shows how you can, it, it when it's from the heart and you actually mean it, and you're fighting for your fucking life not to be in power or be right instead of wrong. Yeah, I mean Harvey is a radical truth teller, and it doesn't matter that he learns how to manipulate the media. It doesn't learn that he learns how to manipulate the crowd. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. It's that at the end of the day, he's using those things for the right reasons instead of the fucking wrong reasons. I mean, the guy is, I mean, I'm here to recruit you. Do you know if, if one politician said that shit to me and they followed it with the right few planks in a platform, you'd get my vote forever because I don't want to be told what to think. I don't want to be told what to do. I want to know what I need to do and what you're going to what what are you going to do with me to change what's happening you know and Harvey was that kind of a leader I'm not a candidate I'm part of a movement the movement is the candidate that's it you know that's it Let's that's see. it I got the goosebumps again sorry right? it happens every I do time. love when they're trying to find a, like a a, a san francisco wide thing to garner attention for and support and they're like they're going about homelessness i forget what else to talk about but someone in the gang says uh dog shit and i think my boy cleave is like if you clean up all the dog shit in the city you're gonna be fucking mayor and like cuts to what do they do <laughs> they start this initiative to clean up all the dog shit and it works and people works. start following their campaign that's it that's it that's it so I kind of get the feeling we okay. I don't even know, but we're probably getting ready to wrap up. It's been a while, so I got a couple of things I just want to shout out. But I think that really, if it's okay with you, I'd like to I'd like to save a conversation about that murder scene. 
Um, and just maybe shout out a couple of quick bullet points between the two of us. Is that cool? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, so first and foremost, I think I got to shout out my boy, Danny Elfman. This score that flutters in the background of such a fucking beautiful movie is great. And I, I think Danny Elfman has got himself a career as pro, as one of, you can make an argument, one of the, premier, the most decorated yeah. and premier, you know, film musicians of, yeah. of our generation. I mean, I, I think, shout out to you. So, uh, and then the second thing I want to shout out to is it's really fucking dope to know that people were protesting racist ass fucking Coors beer back all the way back. You and then. I decided to not drink Coors beer like, Seven years ago. Soon as we fucking learned what, as soon as we learned, we were like all about it. But it's really cool to know they were all I about it. I love those scenes of the boys like pouring it out. Yes, cheese and super it's hard. Great, I know. It's I so know. Good. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So the, I think those are just those, that's all my shout outs. I just wanted to get that stuff out there for the world. Um, and then I would love to. Oh wait, one more. I want every piece of furniture. In Harvey Milk's fucking apartment in this movie, every single really, yes. Oh my god, I would. Oh, what a. Oh, I love it. So you want to talk about the the end of the film and the murder scene? One of the motifs we haven't touched on yet is the theme of of the operatic element of the story. It is a tragedy, almost Shakespearean, and its arcs and ebbs and flows. And it's also given a nuanced operatic theme by the presence of opera music. Harvey clearly, Harvey Milk clearly enjoys opera music. Towards the end of the film, and by towards the end, I mean the last five minutes, he goes to an opera. Um, the opera he goes to see, I believe, is Tosca. 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 Yeah, and I will say also, uh, it's more than just that one. He listens to Puccini, opera. right? Well, he listens to opera throughout the film, and you know Scott kind of calls him out on it, and or or not Scott, but uh, so someone calls him out on it. It's like, oh, the drama, you know, and they hop up on the table and they're like, it's make fun of it, and then the Bowie song like cuts back in, and it's yeah. like this great fucking montage. But I mean, opera is a thing in there, but it's yeah, it's Tosca. So the ending of the film. I feel like you got some energy behind it. So why don't you take it? Okay. Um, so the murder scene when yeah when no I got you. Harvey Milk. For I was sure. just reminding you in case you forgot what we've been talking no, about. No, I I did an hour and a half. I I didn't. Uh, so I'll start with the fact that my heart starts to race from the moment that Dan White is looking through that window that he's getting ready to open at City Hall. And I, you feel it as a viewer of this film. You know you can kind of, you you kind of sense that something is different. The tone of the film feels different. And Dan walks in, lies his way into the building, and he fucking shoots the mayor in his office. And I'm surprised that I mean I guess those old city hall buildings were built. Back in the fucking day, and they must have been thick because. A little he backstory: did. Dan like renounced his position. Yes, sure. And, Go ahead. And is yeah. almost and it's called into the the police department, and is given support by that the police department, and it says, "You know, I changed my mind. I want to get my job back." And thinks he can go back into the mayor's office and 
get and just say, oh, I changed my mind to get my job back. The mayor is a, is a staunch boss and says, you know what? The city's changing and away from your conservative views. And you, you made a decision. That's what he says. You made a decision. I can't do anything about that. So that's when he kills the mayor. Yeah, and in this, uh, I want to say it's uh, Van Dyke, Van Dykean manner. He he shows the murder of the mayor through this bubble Dick, mirror. Dick Van Dyke? No, 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 no. The paint, the the painter. Sorry. friend. I was just joking. The the painter man. Uh, but anyway, he shows the murder of the mayor, and then you you cut to Dan walking out. And he's in this hallway, and you hear him breathing. And it's this, <sighs> and he's like, he's having this moment. And you hear he, as he, he, you hear him as he's walking down the, the hallway. And then he goes into Harvey's office, and he asks for a moment. And, you know, that moment is so intimate. It, he uses a slow motion device. And you see Harvey put his hand up in defense, and you see him get shot in slow motion. And it's, it's, I think the that- first shot hits him in like his lower palm. And like the one special effect moment, you know, I, you reference these uh, slow mo, but you see the flesh ripping from Harvey's palm. You do. Ugh. It's yeah. so intense. And, and, and under his armpit as it comes back through his hand and, and it's so uh, it's so intimate. I have to use that word that I think it's one of, if not, in fact, as I think about it, as I say it, it's probably the the most scary death scene I think I've ever watched. It's it, terribly moving. Yeah, it, it feels like what it would feel like. I mean, I feel like in the moment of being shot that things would slow down so much that everything would be and there's nothing but, you can do to stop it yeah um but then in a in a great filmmaking device and in true form of a tragedy uh Harvey falls on his knees and the first cut you get is his reflection in a window showing Tosca the opera that he watched the night before that moved him so much. And that's the last thing he's looking at as he gets a bullet. When he gets the bullet, the camera focuses not on Harvey's reflection, but on the opera house. Mm. And, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful, it's hard to fucking say beautiful, but Gus Van Zandt it doesn't, it doesn't has a way of doing that. Yeah. He, he has a way of making things that, that should not be beautiful, beautiful. But then again, everything is beautiful. So kudos, you know, maybe that's from the old beat writers, but everything is beautiful. And he does a great way of making things that aren't typically beautiful, beautiful. And I, I clap for him on that. This film ends in, in tragedy in sadness and in death, but the overreaching message of the film is unity is being true to one's own cause and uniting to fight things that are rooted in evil. And I, and I think that this movie is relevant today. I would encourage contemporaries and peers alike to watch this movie now because it kind of shows you how to do it right. Yeah, it does. That is, that's a 
that's a beautiful thing you said. It is. It, it shows you how to do it right. You know, it's it's going to be more than, um, you know, they weren't operating in ones and zeros back then, and they made change. And uh, ones and zeros are good for letting people know what's going on. But we got to organize, you know. We got to make coalitions. We got to join forces, and we have to find true and real allies uh, to make this thing happen. I don't mean to make it like that, but that's the message of this film: is to is to bring people is together for yeah. a common cause. And uh, like he says in the film, the Constitution says that all men are created equal, and when we say men, obviously that means all humans, humans, and that are moment, created equal. In that speech, I I made a note um, that when moments of progressiveness happens, when progressive moments happen, rather, the ideals of the Constitution are are referenced in a way that the country changes, but the ideals and truth of the nation are intact. And you know, you change the word "man" to "all people," "all gay people," "all people of any." race, color, creed. And I think that movements like that are more true to what this country was founded on than when people manipulate those truths for power. And I and I I love that scene. That's what I was thinking about in that in that big speech um when Harvey's finally elected. I just thought I'd share that. Yeah, and final thought for me is like you said earlier, Harvey said, if they know one of us, they vote for us. And the truth is, is we need to start looking at ourselves as Americans and as humans. And we need to stop looking at ourselves in other ways. Because if we can do that, we can come together and we can build a coalition that will win. You know, And it's very, very important that we do that. It just it just is. Yeah. Community, companionship, trust. Yeah. Love. Yeah. Love. Harvey Milk Harvey Milk has taught me a lot in the past two hours. <laughs> a legacy of love. That's that's one thing to give him, right? I mean Oh my god. That's one thing to give that guy. Yeah. Oh. Well let's wrap it up, bud. To yes. the birds. Hallelujah. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Please give us a follow and or like on Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. One love, y'all. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you.